Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction show. I am Patty Callahan Henry. And I'm Ron Block. And as I said, this is the Friends in Fiction show with four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian named Ron Block, and endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. On this week's show, Ron and I are here obviously, to welcome <laughs> best-selling author Amy Jo Burns to discuss her hit new novel, Mercury, which was the Barnes & Noble Book Club pick for January and a Book of the Month Club pick. We are Barnes & Noble Book Club pick sisters. The book was released at the beginning of January, and we cannot wait to discuss it with her. But first, just a quick reminder to check out all the fun things going on in our Friends in Fiction community at friendsinfiction.com. There you'll find our show schedule, details on upcoming in-person events, and links to our bookshop.org page. Also to the Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, the merch store, our book subscription box, and our weekly email newsletter sign-up. In other words, if you want to know more about anything Friends in Fiction, we offer a lot there. Be sure to check it out at friendsinfiction.com. So now we are going to talk about what we came here to talk about, yes. Amy Jo Burns. Amy Jo is the author of the memoir, Cinderland, and the novel, Shiner. God, I loved that book. So good. So good. Shiner was a Barnes & Noble discovery pick, an NPR best book of the year, a modern Mrs. Darcy book club, and it was told in a language as incandescent as smoldering coal. I wish I could take that and put it on the cover of my book. That's what the New York Times said about it. Her writing has also appeared in the Paris Review, Tin House, Elle, Good Housekeeping, Plowshares, Electric Literature, blah, blah, on and on. Everywhere. And uh, I, uh, just, I wish we could go on tour with her and introduce oh, her. No. You and I both, we just cemented over these books by her and we love them. Um, Amy is a Western Pennsylvania native. She now lives in New Jersey with her family. Her new novel, Mercury, was just released, as Patty said, last month with all the acclaim you could want. She said, I'll remind you again that it's a Barnes & Noble book club pick. It got a rave New York Times review written by Mary Beth Keene. It's a People Magazine book of the week and more. It goes without saying how much I love this. If anybody follows me on social media, you know I've been shouting about this from the rooftop, and Patty has as well. <laughs> we just can't let it go. But anyway, so instead of talking about her, let's talk to her. So, Sean, will you bring Amy Jo on? Hi, my hey. friend. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're so happy to I'm have you. thrilled. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Because we're diving straight in the deep end. I okay. am so ready. In your new novel, Mercury, which was just released last month, mm -hmm. 
a roofing family's bonds of loyalty are tested when they uncover a long hidden secret at the heart of their blue collar town, i.e. a body in the attic. So (laughs) as your rave New York Times review says, conflicting loyalties and many secrets of a roofing clan in a small Pennsylvania town and the woman who changed everything. So that's how we would describe the book. How would you describe the book? Oh, so, I mean, I'll show you the gorgeous cover here. Um, that's what it looks like, Mercury. It's just beautiful. But I would say, so this book is set in 1990. So if you want to come with me back there, it's, you know, Mariah Carey's Vision of Love on the radio. Arsenio Hall is on TV. Steffi Graf is playing Wimbledon. And it is this story about this really messy but lovable family of men with one woman. They own this roofing company and they use their roofing company to stand in for literally everything else. They don't have conversations with each other. They don't express love. This roofing company kind of expresses everything that they are. But then uh, someone new comes to town and her name is Marley. She comes from Ohio, her and her mom, and they shake everything up. Marley makes Mercury completely new, even though nothing really changes. And then the rest of the story is about what she brings to the town and what she brings out in this really complicated family. Oh, she's great. That's very well said. Very well said. So um, in, in the book, we have the family of roofers. And mm-hmm. um, I know that you have a family of roofers of your own that you love deeply. Tell us about how they inspired the novel. Uh, yeah, so I am uh, the daughter, granddaughter, sister, niece of a bunch of really wonderful roofers. Now, the thing is, they don't do roofs that are on top of your house. They don't do shingles or anything like that. They are commercial roofs in cities on top of really tall buildings, warehouses, churches. Yeah. So the thing that probably a lot of people don't know about roofers though, is that they are hysterical. They're, they're funny, they're crass, but they're also interestingly very like big hearted. So they tell really great stories. And I think I first learned how to tell a story from them because so many of their stories come from all the things that go wrong when you are 200 feet in the air and up there, the smallest problem becomes really big, really quickly. So, um, what I love about their stories is they'll, we'll be driving somewhere in Pittsburgh or or wherever in Western Pennsylvania. And my dad will point and say, Oh, let me tell you what went wrong on that roof. Oh, that's great. (laughs) And then you tell me, and then the end of the story is, but this is how we fixed it. You know, and it's everything from my dad dropping things into a river that's right below to a big leak in a cereal aisle in a grocery store. I mean, anything you can think of. And what I wanted to do was take this idea of, you know, here's what went wrong and here's how we fixed it and apply it to a family and say, if we took that and said, you know, let's look at something that's wrong and what, what would it take to actually fix this situation? And that's sort of how the book began for me. I love the idea of that's the roof we did. And here's the story. I wonder yeah. why you ended up a writer, Amy Jo. That's amazing. It's not yeah. just the roof we did, but let me tell you the story about that roof we right. Because You know, what's interesting is that my dad, because of the time that he was working in Pittsburgh, every building he went into had this really intense history of what happened there because steel was sort of on its way out. So he went into a lot of these abandoned buildings and he would see things left over. So he kind of walked into what he would call a ghost story. So that's another reason why I wanted that beginning scene to feel a little bit 
creepy because I think that's a big part of what it means to be a roofer. You're kind of going in for the postmortem sometimes with some of these buildings and you're in the middle of, you know, one story ending and another beginning, which is really cool, which I think this, the Joseph family in the book is also, they don't realize it at the time, but they're kind of exactly in that same spot. The metaphor for the roofing in the family and how they're intermeshed. We're going to keep talking about that, but I live in Birmingham Mm -hmm. and we are called or used to be called the Pittsburgh of the South Ah. because (laughs) of the iron and the steel industry and how it, it collapsed. So, and all of my ancestors that came from Ireland all went to Pittsburgh. So there's this really weird tie between the steel industry and Pittsburgh and Birmingham. And so to read about it in the book, it just was an extra like chef's kiss for me. Oh, All right. That's awesome. Let's talk about Marley because mm-hmm. she is so fascinating. She is the girl and then the woman who changes the Joseph family completely. We meet her. She's such a beauty when she blows into town. And I love your details and a teal Acura with the windows down. She is with her mother, but very soon, as soon as she gets to town, she meets Baylor and Waylon Joseph, the two brothers, two of the three brothers. Soon her life is way more than tangled with the Joseph family. So if you were to introduce Marley and her mother to us, mm-hmm. we can't hear you, but they're about yeah. to come to a party. How would you describe them, introduce us to them and who they are as they blow into town? I would say Marley and Ruth are exactly the people you want to invite to any kind of party that you're having. Marley has every attribute that I find in a wonderful friend. She's not afraid to get into the messiness of life. She really wants to help. She doesn't hold grudges. She's honest and she loves Roxette. I mean, who doesn't love, that's a party right there, right? Oh, <laughs> Listening wow. to Roxette. Let's start and there. I, uh, right? <laughs> and her mother, Ruth, is a single mom. She's a nurse, loves Stevie Nicks, designing women. They love to eat, you know, popcorn for dinner, under the blanket, watching TV. They're the kind of people that if you want to feel at home somewhere instantly, that's the house you want to go to. They'll pull up a corner of the blanket for you to crawl underneath. They'll ask you about your day. They're not going to judge you, you know? So that's, that. that's why I like them. That's how they feel. I love that. That is exactly how they feel. <laughs> okay, but here we go to the other side. Let's meet mm-hmm. the Joseph family. Um, this family is a father, mother, and three sons. And the family, of course, as you said, orbits around the business without, uh, and that's the focus for them all. How would you describe them? I would say with the Joseph family at first, what you see is not what they really are. They are very bought into this idea of what it means to be strong and what it means to be able and what it means to be able to fix things. And they've built their identity on this idea that when something goes wrong, when something's leaking, when something breaks, it's in the middle of the night, we are the people you call. And they have come to trust in that sense of heroism in their cell in themselves, but it doesn't extend to the way that they treat each other. Mm. So there's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of lack of honesty, But what there is a lot of that they're not able to articulate is love and loyalty. They each show up for each other in really wonderful ways in difficult moments, but 
um, because everybody has this complicated history with each other, sometimes they're just not able to meet, right? They're kind of headed towards each other, headed toward each other. And sometimes they just miss. And this is a family that over the course of the book, I mean, they learn it the hard way, but they're going to keep trying until they're finally able to connect. So they might get it wrong the first 50 times, but number 51, (laughs) you know, they're going to, they're going (laughs) to fix it. So, and they're just, they're a fun group. It's a rowdy house for sure. It is. It is a rowdy house. Um, Well, I want to talk a little bit about, um, about how they come across. Um, Mm -hmm. I I wrote to you and told you about um, some of the characters you wrote and no spoilers, but how authentically you created these characters and how, how you put them on a page exactly as they should be. And um, how did you ensure that all of your characters were so spot on? I think it was time. It took a lot of time thinking about these characters. And and when I write my drafts, they end up happening in layers. So, you know, one layer after the other, after the other, it takes to sort of add depth to a character. And you'll notice in the book, oftentimes characters sort of have big chunks of the story at once. I don't change too often in between characters because I'm really trying to get into their minds. And one of the things I also like to do is kind of give each character a piece of myself so that I feel an instant connection, even though on the surface we are very different. But I like, you know, for example, Waylon, who's the middle brother, he's a roofer, really wants to be a roofer, but he is deathly afraid of heights. Yeah. And that is me to a T. So it can be just be something as, as tiny as that to kind of build on. But I just, I spent a lot of time thinking about if I were to sit down with these people and say, what has it been like being a member of this family and just let them talk what they would say. And that was when, you know, it was a big act of just listening and, you know, writing down what I, what I heard and trying to really capture what I think is special about the roofers that I know in my life. And that's, you know, they work hard, they've got dreams and they've got triumphs. They've got a lot of heartbreak and regret. And I wanted each character to be able to capture all of that sort of in one go. So that's, it just took a lot of time. So to kind of make sure everybody felt really well-rounded, but I loved it. I mean, this writing this book was just, it really felt like sitting at a dinner table with them and just listening to them talk. So it was kind of, you know, a bunch of meals at the table with them until it felt like it was done. That's true. And that's how how we felt as readers too. I think, I think we really felt like we were um, in a chair at that table too, because we we got to know them so well through your work. I always say when I'm adding layers like that, I'm not a first draft and you can read it. Same thing as draft after draft. Oh yeah. I, I get all the way through. I imagine it like those coffee table books about a city where it has the city in 1845. And then you, you know, keep putting the vellum over to see what the city becomes, 1947, 1952, and more buildings go up. And that's how I imagine your characters, Mm. each piece of vellum adding another layer to them. That's that's always how, while you were talking, I was, that's what it sounds like. All right, now we're going to get to the mystery. Because (laughs) there's a body, there's a dead body. In the attic of the church. Um, and we've talked about this before, being the daughter of a Presbyterian minister. I just thought, this is a Presbyterian church and there's a dead body in the attic. So yeah. this sets the story in motion because we need to know who did it and how it got there. Mm-hmm. And obviously the family is connected. I need to know, 
Did you know? No. When- <laughs> Good question. Good question. <laughs> I love it. When I started writing, I was kind of in a place where I just, I wasn't sure this was going to work. I just started to write something for myself to remind myself that I knew how to write. And so I was like, ah, I'm just going to throw a dead body up in the attic and we'll see what happens. And so I just kept writing and kept writing. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know whose body it was. I didn't know what happened. And then, so what you'll see over the course of the book is that every character gives you a little piece of it. And yes. so every time I went into a new character, I said, okay, what do they know that nobody else knows? And so that, I think it was one of the reasons why it was fun to write, but I, I really wanted to think about if this actually happened in a place like my hometown, what might've actually happened and how would people feel about it? And I think one of the interesting things is it is about what body, who, how, when, and why, yeah. but yeah. it's also about the fact that it had been there a long time and nobody knew. And that is what rocks the family to the core. Well, and in a church. So people are in a church. For every all these Sunday, years. it was up above. <laughs> they had potty upstairs. And <laughs> we've just gone on about the choir and the, you know. Um, it would really change your experience there. You know, one Sunday you're fine, yes. the next yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. church from then on that you went to, you'd be looking up. You said, yeah. <laughs> What's happening up there? <laughs> Their body up there. Well, I was fascinated by the mother, Elise. She mm-hmm. she's just one of the the most fascinating characters I've read in a very she's long time. Definitely an enigma. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with all her secrets and 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 we early on realized that she doesn't quite like Marley. And she doesn't right. seem to want her to go though, too. She wants to keep her around. Can you talk about that dynamic? Absolutely. I do think Elise is an an enigma. I think she's super hard to figure out. And something really interesting is that I've heard from some readers and there's been so many that say, oh, Elise, you nailed her. I know that woman. So we all know this woman that we're just, I cannot figure you out. Like, what do you want? (laughs) But anyway, I think Elise is someone, so she's the mother of the family. And the way that she has survived has been saying, you know, this is everything that goes in the good column. And this is everything that goes in the bad column. And this is how we're going to live life. These are our rules. And that's how she has thrived in a new town. That's not her own. That's how she's raised three boys who are very active and rowdy. And that's how she's dealt with a really difficult husband is to say, this is how it's going to be. And when she meets Marley, her first reaction is, oh my goodness, somebody new to town. Like I was also new to town. So her, she, there's a sense of empathy that plays in. Mm-hmm. But then I, when she starts to witness how relaxed Marley is as a person, I think what it does is it, it hits Elise right in the chest for a reason that she can't understand. And over the course of the book, we slowly start to see why that might be. But Elise is somebody who wasn't given a lot of choices in life, but she is determined not to be a sob story and not to be a cautionary tale. And so she has sort of has had this illusion in her mind. There's one right way to be a woman. There's one right way to be a mom. And Marley shows up and doesn't want to be any of those things. So it's, it's a good kind of friction, but it's also painful for Marley too. Well, and it's so opposite of Marley's own mother. Yes. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, this mom who's, you know, cuddling on the couch, eating popcorn, yeah. you know, um, 
I want to jump to something the BNN book club said, because they, they wrote a thing for, for the book club. And if you guys haven't, don't have that special edition by Barnes and Noble, it's really great because I'll let you tell them, Amy Jo, but all the extra things in it in a second. But they said that they believe this is, this book is much about the gray area between heroes and villains. Mm. Would you say the same? Absolutely. Yes. Because I think something that's interesting about this family is that one family member's moment of heroism and triumph is another member's worst moment of their life. And when somebody wins, somebody else loses. And so they're all looking at the same event, but they have really different experiences and opinions about it. And I feel like that's the most honest thing about being a family member that there could be is that maybe one thing happened, but everybody's got an opinion about it. And to, you know, answer your question, the Barnes and Noble edition, not only does it have a beautiful cover, but it has a really great Q and a, um, with me that includes some things about why I wrote the book behind the scenes. And then it also has a great reading group guide. So it's a really, it's a really beautiful and special thing that I feel really lucky that they did. It's beautiful. So moving on from heroes and villains to being a woman in this novel, Mm -hmm. a mother, a daughter, a, a girlfriend, a wife. Yes. I feel as if every woman gets to a place in the novel where they say no, mm-hmm. enough is, see, almost choked up, like enough yes. is, enough. Yeah. I know it's just like, no. Yeah. And it's, it, and you, you want them to do it before, but then they do and they say enough mm-hmm. is enough. So there seems to be a theme of demanding a place for oneself in the world. Yeah. Did you mean to throw that theme in there? Did you weave it in there? Did it rise up on its own? Talk to us about that if you can. When I started the book, I really wanted to figure out how to talk about what it's like to be a woman, Yeah, not only in a family like this, but in an industry like this, because when we think of roofing, we think of really macho men and they are, you know, they're up on the roof doing whatever, you know? Um, but my experience for me growing up is that roofing was equal parts men and women. Mm-hmm. A lot of the women in my family were the ones who did payroll and figured out insurance and mm-hmm. answered the phones and sort of all those things that couldn't be done when the actual roofers were on the roof, people like, you know, my, my mom and my aunt, and now my sister-in-law, they figure it out yeah. and they do it while they have kids running around the legs of the kitchen table. And so they're working, but the kids are literally like right here. And to me, that is what being a blue collar woman is and was, it wasn't necessarily Rosie the Riveter, although of course that, that sort of person exists, who's going and punching the clock. But my vision of it was somebody who is an entrepreneur, who is a small business owner, who is also a homemaker and a mom and doing all of those things at once. And so capable, always so able to be like, yeah, got it, got it, got it. That they almost don't realize I can say no. They just I'm don't. allowed to say no. I'm allowed to say no. It's it's for everyone's good here if I do I say, say no. Because no. mm-hmm. I'm watching get... that moment explode into the yeah. open where yes. we want to see it coming and then yeah. and then it does. Yeah. And then it does. But if we could choose, we might want it to be a little earlier. It's yes. it can get kind of <laughs> complacent and put themselves in it. But but they have such responsibility too for the, the world around them too. Mm-hmm. 
So we've talked about the characters a lot, but now let's talk about your writing, the prose. It, it just is like the icing on the cake in this book. It's to die for. Every sentence felt like a gift. Talk to us about your writing history and, and your path to getting to this point. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That means a lot to me because it's actually what my first drafts, I don't know about you, Patty, but if somebody looked at it, they just, they'd be frightened. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's not complete sentences. It's not a coherent narrative from beginning to end. Um, so the process for me, in there's that a lot of blah, blah. Like, yes. Because you don't know the name of the town or yep. the character yet mm-hmm. or what they're for. To so come, to like, come, to come. But I had a writing teacher once tell me that the more provisional you can be in your first draft and kind of let yourself be open to whatever may come, the more exciting and groundbreaking oh, and I unique and special that. the end is going to be. So when I start, I let the editor self in my head, take a nap. She doesn't show up. And I just like that. I just let that moody writer me come out and say, I don't know what this is, you know, I, you know, and just kind of get it out. And that's where I think the seeds of all the most unique lines come from is just sort of me just letting my brain play a little bit. Um, so that's great. I mean, the beginning of it is great. Cause you're like, sure, I'll put this in. Why not this? I'll throw that in. And then what happens is the editor part has to kind of sit in the driver's seat and make sense of it. Yeah. And that is where the real work is done. And it's a pain in the butt in every book. I'm like, well, that's it. I had a nice run. This isn't going to work out, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, sweating down a paragraph, maybe to, one sentence of taking the best of a few different things to say, how could I combine this into what feels like one very potent sentence? I, I think a lot about the way things sound, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like music lyrics. And so I'll just think about how does this sentence sound when you read it? And that's, that's sort of how I land on, on what words to use and how long I want a sentence to be and all of that. But do you read, it takes, do you it takes read your work out loud? I will, I always read the very last version, the version after line editing, but before copy editing, I read that version out loud. And, um, I always feel like I catch so much, um, repetition or how many times do I have to tell them that? Because I tell them four different ways, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I used to read it out loud more before I had kids. Now, now it's a little bit <laughs> trickier when they're around because I don't have as much time or, or a huge length of time to do it. But especially mood is v- and vibe are very important to me. I'm always asking myself, what's the mood? You know, what's the vibe? And so when I'm struggling with, the, with that is when I'll read it out loud and sort of, and then it's like listening for a note that's off key to say, Oh, yes. that word, that's what it is right there. And I have to change that. So that's, that's kind of, a it's like a word or that's a yeah, Exactly. Thing. Yeah. We it still get by, we still get yeah. the final copy and you're like, there is, there is a, yeah, there's a sentence in Mercury that still makes me a little like, Oh, I wish, I wish I'd changed that. <laughs> Don't tell us. We probably didn't. Yeah, we, we wouldn't I, notice. So. <laughs> So, um, as you're writing, and then I I know that uh, we've now seen it too, um, talk about the influence of music and the incredible playlist that you created. I love it. I 
love to make playlists. I don't, Patty, I don't know if you remember this, but the last event we did together in Harrisburg, you had said your favorite procrastination technique is research. Yeah. And um, mine is making playlists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It helps me figure out what I want the, the I think, yeah. mood and emotional core of a scene to be or the novel. And in this particular case, because it's set in the 90s and it's kind of like a period piece, I used a, music to really help me get back there, but also to kind of, the 90s just had this, you know, People showed right. up for it and they were like, let's do this. You know, so I, I wanted to kind of get that across in the prose that this it's a serious book that deals with some serious things. But these are characters who don't take themselves too seriously all the time. And I, so I listened to a lot of music that kind of got me in that headspace. And when I was figuring out the characters, I kind of picked a favorite song for everybody that kind of helped me think about what would they listen to when they're alone in their truck. And, you know, that kind of helps you pick yeah. out some of those little special moments and because, and, it, and then it just organically kind of ended up in the book because I would think, well, what, what were they listening to in the salon back then? And what song would come on that would make two friends look at each other and kind of go like, yeah, this is our song, you know? Because <laughs> that's what I, along, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Slide. You're yeah. singing along. Right? Exactly. Of course they are. Of course. And um, so it just, it helped the characters feel very alive to me. And um, in a way, and I usually make playlists for all my books, but this one ended up being a lot more, it showed up a lot more in the actual finished product of the book, which was super fun. Well, that is a way better procrastination tool than- I'm like not sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I remember when you said that, I thought, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I could- tackle research that way because well maybe we could share each other's procrastination tool i I'll think do so. some playlists you do some research there and you go there that's, you a, that's go. a good system <laughs> i think both can be true both can be yeah. true both, both can be true work. and i just want to point out that everybody should take a look at this list um because there's like this one element in there where there's a character where you say that um this is what this person wants their song to be but this is what it really is so you've got to that. what what a cool little little uh, nugget in there yeah. And you can find it. It's, it's on my website. There's a link. It's a Spotify link that will take you to it, but, oh, and it's also, it's on Instagram if you want to see the actual picture or whatever, but it was, it was a really fun thing to put together. I might play that today. It's very cool. Okay. Everybody out there, we have more with Amy Jo because we actually have a couple more questions for her, but we also have a couple things to tell you. Okay. Uh, for all of you watching and listening, now that you've had the pleasure of meeting Amy Jo, we encourage you to rush out and buy your copies of Mercury. The perfect place to do that is in the Friends in Fiction shop on bookshop.org. You'll be getting it at a discount and helping us to fund our show, all while supporting independent bookstores. And speaking of supporting Friends in Fiction, Amy Jo and I have behind the scenes been working diligently, diligently on your behalf <laughs> to create a signature cocktail to go with the book. And um, it's 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 fabulous. It's going to be featured in an upcoming paid Substack issue. So be sure you subscribe because you don't want to miss a single issue. And this drink is really awesome. We had so much fun. It was okay, really can fun. you just give us a hint and show us that one thing you showed us off screen? You're, oh, you really want to see it? Okay. Yes. Okay, we got it. You got it. It's a little cloud. And what is it made of? It's cotton candy. <laughs> is that not the best 
thing you have seen. I oh love my it. gosh! If that doesn't make you get the newsletter, except, luckily right? I I'm gonna just text Ron for the recipe, but. The recipe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Amy sent um, had sent me two recipes, and we kind of worked through them both together, and they were both delicious. But I think the one we landed on is going to be um, it's just going to be a great, great add-on. Yeah. Oh, that's so great! A signature cocktail for a book. Okay, and we want to remind you to follow us on Instagram, where you'll find out about stuff like this, and our Facebook group, what now is over a quarter million. Wow. People strong what a community and when you visit friendsandfiction.com you can stay aware of all upcoming shows in-person events because we have a whole bunch coming up um we're going to be bopping around the country all four of us ron when he can and doing in-person events and don't forget to sign up for our weekly email like we just talked about you'll be missing lots of things if you don't yep And to all of our viewers and listeners, don't go anywhere yet. We still have a little more with Amy. But right now, we want to thank you for tuning in. If you love the Friends in Fiction show, we hope you'll leave a rating or review. And remember to tell a friend. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can catch all of our back episodes and never miss a thing. And when you subscribe to our podcast, you can listen in your car while you do dishes, while you do change your roof, while you go grocery shopping, or while you work out. It's like friends and fiction in your pocket. You can take us wherever you go. And next week, Mary Kay Andrews and Kristen Harmel are going to welcome Kate Quinn. I know a huge fan favorite in the community. Mm -hmm. And Janie Chang, who co-wrote their newest novel, The Phoenix Crown. That interview will be on the Facebook page on February 14th and on the podcast on February 16th, which is actually my anniversary. All right, Amy, I have this theory You can prove me wrong that the things we loved as a kid have a tendency to rise up in us again. So what childhood reading influenced your life and do you see it in your writing now? Absolutely. I think two books came to mind. The first is um, The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. Mm -hmm. I wrote that book just sucked me in. And what was so fascinating about it is it, it is a mystery and that's kind of what keeps you turning those pages, but it's a real character study too. And you just get so attached to these people and what they're facing. And I, I already have a copy of that book to read with my kids. They're not going to be ready for a couple of years, but I'm ready. So that is a, I, I think every time I write something, I am trying to recreate the experience I had as a, I don't know, third or fourth oh, grader sweet. reading that book. Yeah. I mean, it just, you feel like it's gone beyond reading and I'm sitting with these people and I'm, and I'm in it and I'm for it. Um, and then the other book, I would say number the stars, uh, by Lois Lowry. Lowry I read that. I think yes. it's, yeah, i read that in third grade as well. And there was something I think about the emotional truth of that book that hit me even as a what nine year old, I remember closing it and going to my mom and holding it up and going, because <laughs> that, I didn't have the words for how much I loved it. But that's also what I want my readers when they close it. I want that last word to just kind of feel like, a, like you feel like you almost can't breathe. So that's always, yes. always what I'm going for in my books. Cause that's what, that was like my earliest reading experience when it's like, oh my goodness, I love to read. It was probably those two books. And I remember texting you when I was reading this book, like, how do you do feeling so well? And you said, because I have so many of them. 
<laughs> it's a little chaotic. I, I wish there was a knob that I could turn it up and turn it down. But it shows childhood <laughs> no, reading. don't do like, that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it shows that those are the books. See, that's my theory. The books mm. you loved that brought out your emotional resonance are the ones that you end up not trying to imitate, but maybe emulate and, yes. and, and pull forth. What, what was yours, Patty? Oh, gosh. Um, when I was a kid, I was always fascinated with the ones about adventure. Mm-hmm. Like women, ah. like, or, or um, you know, Little House on the Prairie. Yes. Or anything where they had to forge their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'm always, and then as I went to college, that's when I became obsessed with Ann River Siddons and Pat yeah. Conroy and these like, emotionally, and I don't want to write like either one of them because it's a, it's a kind of, um, more not flowery, but more poetic kind Mm of, um, writing, but I want to evoke the same truth and feeling. And, you know, it's a goal. It's always a goal that you, yes. And and it's so, yeah, like you said, I can see that in, in your books, that sort of that spark of adventure. Oh, I love that. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been amazing. What an incredible conversation. Amy, can you tell our audience where to find you in person and online in the coming weeks? Absolutely. The best place where I keep most things up to date is on Instagram. I'm there under Burns Amy Joe, and you'll see yes. um, there's a placard that has some of uh, my appearances that are coming up, and I'll usually post it in my stories. Um, so that's the best place to find out where I'll be. Awesome. awesome. Me too. It has been such a delight and a pleasure, as yes. always. Congratulations on the huge success of this novel. Yeah. And is there any way to tell us what you're working on or is it zip zip? So, yes. And first of all, this highlight for me, getting to talk with the two of you about this mm-hmm. book. I mean, what a gift. So thank you so much for having, I love this podcast. It's my favorite podcast. So the fact that I get to be a guest is, thank I mean, you. it's mind blowing. Um, I am in a space right now that I do not recommend where I am working on three different books at once. It is bananas. And it's because I cannot pick one. Are you, coconuts? you are you, you're not right. Yes. Help <laughs> me, Patty. Well, okay. Help me. <laughs> but I will say what I can say is that at least one of them is set in Mercury, Pennsylvania. Okay. So oh, that, I'd love to go back there. So if I get to vote among the yeah. three, okay, I'm going to vote for that. I, not, my vote does not count. You probably want to talk to your editor, not me, but. I need to talk to somebody. <laughs> like, your editor or your therapist? No, no, well, both. I'm good. Yeah. So that that editor part that's in my brain is saying, "This is don't do this. This is a bad idea." So it will work itself out. It is. It always like I does. Said, you, you know, casting opportunity, just letting it. It's it's yeah. my process is super messy, and I hate it until I love it. So I, I mean, I'm so envious of people. Um, our Chris, dear Kristen Harmel has a very kind of regimented yes. outliney way of, of doing her books. And I'm always so envious of it because for the book that I'm just finishing now, I discarded a year's worth of work, a year, a year, okay. because it just never found its way. And so Amy Jo, you and I have a bit messier process. We but do. We do. I see. I see you, Patty. Somebody else. Yeah, you I know. I know. I wish, I wish I could be a bit more orderly, but the truth is my brain isn't it. It's more like a mud pit in there, I think, than it is, you know, anything else. So 
I bet that's relatable, though, to people. A lot of people that are watching, it's going to be relatable to them. And they're probably going, oh, I'm okay then. Yes, you are. Take it from me. If it's messy, it, it... Yes, messes can always be cleaned. <laughs> and Mary Kay, Mary Kay always says that she has a lint, like the lint trap in her brain. Like what, what gets caught is oh, what. Oh, I like that. I know I like that a lot. All right. Thank you everyone for being with us. Thank you, Amy Jo, for being with us. Thanks for being on the Friends and Fiction yes. Show. And good night, y'all. Yeah. Yay. Bye, get everybody. Your book, get your copy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.